Good morning, everyone. Welcome here. September, to me, always feels like New Year's. It's like the second New Year's of the year, where things start up again, and uh, especially with the school cycle, we're thinking of all the teachers and students right now. Um, so let's just enjoy this, this season and this startup together. The first song we'll sing is I Will Call Upon the Lord. And the men can follow Janae, and then the women can follow me for the echo. the call to worship. Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood, they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Let's pray. Lord, we trust that you are with us 
in this space with your spirit. And I pray that as we sing songs of worship to you and pray and listen to teaching and words from scripture, that you would help us to uh, set aside any distraction or um, self-consciousness or anything like that, and that we would be able to be engaged in our minds and our hearts, um, and that we would focus on you, and that we would be um, deeper in relationship with each other and with you. Amen.
get into our announcement and prayer time, we are back into the time of year for Children's Church. And so I'd ask that you'd please bow with me in a word of prayer to dismiss. Dear God, I thank you so very much for each and every one of our little ones. God, I pray that as they go to Children's Church, this will be a fun time for them, but also a time where they learn about you in new and exciting ways that will stick with them for the rest of their lives. I pray also for their teacher as he looks to impart the wisdoms that he has. God, thank you so very much. Amen. So if you are between the ages of 3 and 11, then off to the new children's church room, which is the old youth room. There is people in the back that will gladly lead you there. All right. So as to announcements, we have a number of them today. 
Uh, first off, if you have not picked one up yet, there is, uh, we're doing communion today, there is communion glasses that are on a back table, so make sure to go and pick those up for later on. Uh, next, there is a number of things that are coming up. Wednesday at 7 p.m., there will be the prayer meeting at the church. I would invite you all to come. It is always a wonderful and life-giving time to pray for the needs of both our people, our community, and our congregation. So, I encourage you all to come out for that. Next Sunday at 9.45 a.m. as well will be Sunday school and 10.45 worship service. On September 27th, we are looking to start Ladies Bible Study up again. So contact Lois or Charlene if you want more info on that. Uh, my understanding is, is that on the 27th itself, it is just going to be prayer time, but also uh, figuring out what will be talked about for the rest of the year as well time. So uh, September 27th, that is a Monday. And also September 19th, that is coming up right quick, uh, the Harvest Celebration at Valley View Bible Camp. Uh, they got me that uh, announcement on Friday, so that's why you haven't seen it before now. Uh, but uh, make sure to put that on your calendar, September 19th, 3 p.m. at Valley View. Uh, there will be tours offered at 2 p.m. Bring a lawn chair, it'll mostly be outside. And also sign up for small groups. Uh, make sure to talk to Dakota. I, she is putting together the groups already. And so it's great if we can get those groups good to go. We're hoping to have everything up and going before the end of the month. Uh, so then on to prayer items. Uh, the first, uh, for teachers and students, custodians, and everybody else that is involved in uh, the education system, as they are now fully back to it. It is an interesting year so far, we know, and it probably will continue to be uh, one with unprecedented changes as well. Uh, so make sure to keep them in your prayers. And also, our post-secondary students, as they are off to college, university, trades, or whatever has you, uh, so make sure to keep them in your prayers as well. And so, with all of those points out, let's go now into a time of prayer. God, I want to bring before you our church. God, I want to bring before you the year that is ahead of us. It was a wonderful time to have that kickoff for Sunday school again after so long. And God, I pray that this year's Sunday school will be a blessing. I pray that we will learn new things. I pray that we will grow closer to you as a result. Lord, I want to put the teachers before you now. It can be sometimes quite a task, but also a very life-giving one, coming up with the things to say week after week. But at the same time, when you stumble upon that thing that you know is what it is that you need to pass on, that is a feeling unlike any other. And so, God, I pray, be with the Sunday school teachers as they look to lead our church through Sunday school for the year to come. Be with all of the students as well. Help them to learn things that they never knew before. And God, I also want to bring before you our schools. I want to bring before you the teachers and the administrators and the custodians and the aides and the students and everybody that is involved. God, it is such wonderfully important work that they do. And so I pray that you will be a blessing, a rock, and a, a visible lead for them during the time to come. God, I pray that things will settle down. 
I pray that things will become encouraging. I pray that this will be a good year. Lord, we put that before you. And God, we also want to bring our post-secondary students before you as well. It is so exciting to see how excited they are. And so, Lord, I pray, be with them over the months to come. Open their eyes to the things that they didn't even know that they were excited to learn. God, please show them just how you are preparing them for their lives to come. God, all of these things we bring before you this morning, each of them close to our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. The scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 15. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not steal. All right. And today we come to the end of our time with the Ten Commandments by talking about how thou shalt not steal. And by now you know what it is that we're going to be looking for in our sermon today. Why is this commandment on the list? What does this commandment imply that we as Christians should be for? And how is it that we should live our lives as a response? And I think it's important to once again spend a few minutes looking at just how different the world is today as compared to that of the time of Moses. For while the definition of what it means to steal hasn't actually changed between now and then, the implications of what was stolen then as compared to now, that, that does change how this commandment should be understood a little bit. Because today, if I were to say to you all, imagine that somebody stole something for you, from you, there we go, what would you imagine was taken? I know that this has happened to a number of us over the last little bit. So what is it that you're imagining? Is it money, a gun, a vehicle, maybe tools or something else that is readily pawnable? A personal possession that you didn't know how much you valued it until it was gone. For me, when I think of stealing, it isn't anything quite as important as that. One time on a vacation, I bought a pearl necklace because I was young and hopeful and 15, and I was going to give it to a girlfriend that someday I was surely going to get. And uh, for some reason, I lent it to a friend of mine, and she was out and about, and it got ganked from her. I know that isn't as big a thing as has happened to a number of you, but it still hit pretty close to home when you're a teenager. It impacts how you see others. It impacts how you see safety as well. And it feels like a personal wrong has been done to you, and that really sucks. And while I don't doubt that the people of the Bible would have felt that way when things would have gone missing, that things would have gotten stolen from them as well. There's also more going on there. Because if something was stolen from you as a Hebrew person that is following Moses in the wilderness, there are a certain a number of things that we can take from that. For one, we know that it wasn't going to be money that was stolen from you in those situations because without a central government, you don't really have money. You have things that kind of act as currencies, but 
nothing that is as important as money is. They did have gold, though. We know that. Or so we can gather from the fact that in Genesis 32, they melt down all of their golden possessions to make that golden calf to worship. So at least before that, we know that they would have some amount of personal goods, mementos, prized possessions, things like that. But we shouldn't think that these were people that were actually absolutely laden down with personal treasures. Because by the time the Ten Commandments come around, which is right before that, uh, the Hebrew people, they have been on the move for quite a long while. They are a nomadic people, and nomadic peoples that are in the wilderness are not big on hoarding a lot of things that they would have to schlep around unless they are either light or useful. This is a time before carts are even a truly common thing, and if you're pulling things around in the wilderness for a while, probably a lot of the carts they would have had to begin with wouldn't have been with them at this point. Things break down. So probably, if they would have been well off, they would have bags you'd put stuff on on the back of some kind of a large animal, and that's the best you could hope for, and most people wouldn't have had that. For the most part, everything you have, that's on your back. And what's more, these people aren't living in a time when there is pawn shops either, which means that cuts down a lot on people looking to steal the pretty little things that you have, because what are they going to do with them? Because everything you steal, besides just having to carry it around, things like golden mementos and that kind of thing, that's the type of thing that you recognize if somebody else has it. You would have been found out before you would even know it, so no. These kinds of golden trinkets and personal things of value like that, that money, that's not what was being stolen when they talk about why you should not steal. That, that is far too much risk and hassle for any amount of benefit. But there are things that likely would have been very tempting. And these are things that are practical. Something that would make your life easier if you had it. That's what we should be imagining as being stolen here. So if you were hungry, then maybe you stole yourself a small animal of some sort or some kind of a, a food stuff that you and your family could enjoy before anybody found out. It's not too hard to hide goat bones. They didn't really have chickens. Those are from Asia and would come over significantly later. Maybe your clothes are worn out, so somebody cleans there. They're on a drying line somewhere. That would be the thing you would take. And while that would be serious if you were caught taking those things. After all, uh, what it is that I take from you, you cannot eat and you cannot wear. The bigger target and the more problematic target, I suspect, would have been tools. These are smallish things. These are things that are easy to run away with. These are things that largely all look the same because at this point we're talking a lot of bronze and bronze has to be cast, so you're not getting a lot of variance as far as what bronze tools look like. And they are absolutely the thing that even if they are heavy, they are worth schlepping around. Because do you know just how much quicker it would be to like butcher an animal? if you have a bronze knife as compared to some sharp stones that you find along the way, 
Sharp stones nick, sharp stones break, and then you get a little bit of stone in everything that you're eating. No, a knife like that, something like a bronze knife, that, that would have been the kind of thing that was absolutely worth risking getting caught and worth hauling around for. Because if you were living a life that was terribly rough and tumble to begin with, anything that would have made your existence just that little bit easier, well, that would have been the, exactly the kind of thing that you would want to take. But that these were the kind of things that were taken, practical objects, that causes a really big problem. Because the ancient Hebrew people, as we have heard a number of times over the past 10 weeks, they are a people that are quite famously very community-focused, very family-focused. To be a Hebrew person at that time meant that you knew who your family was, likely to a degree that even makes my family of Mennonites with our book of family trees going back 500 years a little bit jealous. And you can see this in Joshua 13, when all of the people entering the land of Israel, they know where to settle when they come. There isn't any, you go there because you're part of this clan, you go there because of this clan. People knew who their clan was, and they knew who their family was, so they knew exactly what part of the region they were supposed to go to. It caused a big problem in that book, but that's stories for another day. But a big part of family closeness was the understanding that you don't say no to your family when they ask you for something. If someone that you are related to needs to borrow something, then you lend it to them. You don't even think about whether or not it's gonna be broken or anything like that. That's an unconscious thing. You lend it to them, especially if they're older than you. And so if you were just so lucky enough to be the owner of, say, that bronze knife, you could absolutely expect family to come asking if they could borrow it. Just think of all of the time everyone would save that that is true. Just think about how productive your family is that you have that bronze knife. Just how much more time they can spend on other things. How much more time your entire family can spend with each other. Just how much more time they can spend with God as a result of the fact that you own that knife. And just think as the owner of that knife, all the glowing eyes that would have been on you, that whenever they needed it, you were there to lend it out. Now imagine this. One night you hear a rustling outside of your tent, and in the morning you go to get your most prized possessions and it's not there. I dare say your heart is going to break and soon you're gonna go into a full-on panic when you recognize that not too long from now your family is going to come and ask if they can borrow your knife to make their lives easier and it isn't there. And if you happen to be the thief who took that knife, well then you better pray also that you don't get caught because you have an entire family that is looking to find you. And remember from our message on murdering a couple weeks back, this is a time when people don't really value human life, especially not if they were wronged. So why should you not steal? Because to steal is not just a sin from one person against another. It isn't then, 
and it isn't now either. It's bad enough when it's just a sin from one person to another, but to steal is a sin against an entire community. Beyond just a missing object, stealing, more likely than not, it, it lowers the standing of the person who owned that object in their family. It robs people of their time and their productivity. Two things that are very important in a time where you are doing back-breaking labor every day in the wilderness. It takes away from time that could be spent with family and friends, and it takes away from time that could be spent with God. To steal to the ancient Hebrew people is to hold back and wound an entire community in a number of ways, which more likely than not will end you dead if you are ever found out. And while we might not think of stealing in exactly these broad, community-focused ways anymore, count in replacement time, family support, the work that goes into reporting and documenting things that are taken, claiming insurance to say nothing of learning to deal with the new way that you're going to be looking at the world, that this has happened to you. And I dare say that the problems that the ancient Israelites had with stealing are very much so with us still today. So this is why stealing is on the list in the Ten Commandments and why we should not do it as a result. But I think it's a bit easy for us all to say, just don't steal and leave it at that. Because we've known from looking at all of the other commandments that besides just saying what you shouldn't do, they also have an awful lot to say about what you should do as a result. So what does this one say to us Christians that we should be like? What does it say for how we should live our lives as a result? Well, by my reckoning, it means that we as Christians need to be anti-stealing. It means that we should be for making the world into the kind of place where stealing isn't thought of to begin with. And that may sound like pie-in-the-sky thinking because there are people out there that just like taking things just because. But that isn't why most thefts happen. Most of the time, theft still happens for the same reason that it did back in the wilderness, because of some level of desperation. Either that desperation comes in the form of being so poor that it's either that or you go without food for yourself and your family. Or these days, that desperation often comes as the result of, and around here in particular, meth. Didn't have so much meth back then, but now there is far too much of it. And while it might be tempting for us to blame meth users for their decisions to put that drug in their bodies in the first place, it should be noted that meth is most commonly used by people that would be in that desperate demographic to begin with. For people who already see the world as bleak and as against them because, let's face it, it largely is, a drug that causes a feeling of energetic euphoria and just so happens to be cheap and easy to produce, that, that is a tempting thing. This is saying nothing about how most people 
whatever their friends and family are, they're going to be in the same situation as them, which tends to mean that if drugs are in that circle to begin with, then that's going to be pushed on you and getting away from you from drugs in the first place. That's going to be a whole other thing. It may have been an individual choice to start a habit to begin with, but Boy, does the world ever incentivize that to happen. And boy, does the world ever make it terribly hard for it to stop. For most of us, to be a people who are making the world into the kind of place where stealing is never considered in the first place, that needs to mean finding a way to address the desperation that drives this head on. This isn't a new concept. The Bible calls for charity work and building relationships with those that are dealing with poverty and poverty-related issues a lot. Like hundreds, if not thousands of times. Why? Well, in part because that is how you address exactly these problems. And not just stealing either like pretty much all of the Ten Commandments. If you think that the world is a terrible place that is out to get you, go through the Ten Commandments again and ask yourself how much more likely are you to commit those sins with that way of looking at things. So if we want to be a people against stealing, I say that that means that we need to keep this problem in mind in our decision-making as we go through our lives. When it comes to how we volunteer, when it comes to how we go out of the way to become friends with new people, when it comes to how we donate, when it comes to how we weigh in at municipal budget time. And here I'm going to be very clear that I'm not going to be telling anyone who to vote for, but in the next couple days when the vote comes around, it should find its way into your thinking about who the party is that you're gonna cast your ballot for. And again, that's not picking any individual party. They all have ways of addressing this. But it should be part of your consideration. No one approach to this problem will solve the underlying issues that causes people to go to desperation. But all, all of these things, that could over time make a dent. As long as the world seems like a bleak place and desperation runs rampant in it, we will be fighting an uphill battle against the issue of stealing. But as Christians, we see the world as not beyond hope. We see creation as still having beauty in it because our God made it and said it was good. There is definitely work to be done with God's hand in ours, but... It's worth fighting for. So I say that these are problems that we are, as Christians, able to address. We do that. What else does it mean to be against stealing? Well, if one of the issues of stealing is that it is a loss of time, and as such, a loss of community, a loss of time with God, I think that we should take that as meaning that we need to view our time and the time of others as more valuable than we currently do. 
And here I'm not talking in terms of put a dollar value on what your time is. I'm saying view your time as a precious gift from God beyond money. If you are looking for a job, maybe this means always looking as local as you can. A 40-minute commute might not seem like too terribly much, but that is time that you steal from yourself that you will never get back. Time you will not see your friends and your family. Time that you will not be doing what you need to do to make the world better as you can. And I get that this is not possible for everyone. The realities of the modern world are that sometimes long commutes are just how our communities are set up to work. But keep it in mind all the same. And just like this, maybe make sure if you are working, you take your vacation time. I get how hard that can be, but that is time with your family and your friends that is just gone if you don't. Don't downplay the value lost in that. Same goes with the wonder of the internet. How much do you actually benefit from hate scrolling through Facebook for an hour? How much value does that add to your life? These days, I should also ask, what value does that give for how you think of your friends and your family? Not all thieves are outside our own heads. It's fine to unwind, but keep an eye on how much time you are spending doing particular kinds of unwinding. It can very easily steal more from you than just your time. And for you employers out there, if you have workers and you are coming up to the end of the day, how often do you ask them to do just one more thing before they go home? Even though that thing will absolutely keep them there past closing time, Unless you are paying them for that time, how is that not stealing from them as well? That is time they lose. That is time that they will not spend with their family, time they will not spend with their friends, time they cannot spend making the world into the better place that we as Christians are called to do. Time they will not get back. So work hard to value the time of your employees, and I guarantee you that will pay dividends for how they treat you and the job in return. Nothing like knowing you are actually valued to want to put in that extra little bit. And finally, what about you who may be doing stealing already? Well, to work to make the world into a place where stealing isn't thought of to begin with means that there is personal responsibility that falls on you. Take stock of your life and ask, why are you stealing from others in the first place? Get people to hold you accountable if need be. If there's something you need to talk about, my door is open. Or if you would rather, we do offer a couple of free counseling sessions through Recovery of Hope. Just make an appointment with them, let me or a deacon know that you did that, and you don't even need to tell us the specifics of why. I think you get six, six sessions. Tell them to build a church, easy peasy. We can walk you through it. Or is it a desperation issue like we talked about before? Again, come talk. 
The church has a benevolence fund. The town has the CRC, which does such wonderful work. The town has the MCC that does such wonderful work. And between the members of our church, I dare say we know pretty much every job posting that comes up in the area a week before it actually comes up. There are rehab centers in the area as well. We can pair you up with this. The world can be better than it seems. We read in our passage today that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not steal. Why should you not steal? Because that has a way of damaging the community. And when it comes to theft, there is always more stolen than just the object that goes missing. So do not steal. Instead, let us as believers work to make the world into the kind of place where stealing doesn't need to be considered in the first place. Let us address the desperation that drives it. Let's be fair in our dealings with other people. Let's come to an understanding that the true value of a person's time can't be measured just in money. And let's take responsibility for our actions, even if it means hard choices ahead. Far from being admissions of weakness, if that last one is you, such actions like that show a level of fortitude that we could all aspire to copy. And with that, our time with the Ten Commandments are done. For now, I'm sure we'll come back to them in the future. But for the next two Sundays, I look forward to working to wrap everything that we've learned on Christian ethics and walking for the past, oh, four months, five months now, up in a neat-ish bow. But now we have a wonderful time in the life of our church. I want to ask Jeff Thiessen as well as Sheldon and Linda to come up. Uh, Sheldon and Linda have been deacons in our church for many a year, before I came even. And we just want to say thank you to them for their years of good service. Sheldon and Linda, it's been... Um... It's been my privilege to work together with you in our church as deacons. You've been in leadership roles in our church since far before I, I attended here. I first met Sheldon when we had, Donna and I and our, our family had just moved back into this community after many years away. I had never known Geese Bricks before that. And I saw that in this yard there was an enormous pile of barrels and I was looking for barrels. And I stopped in, and there was this guy, and we talked briefly about barrels, and by the time five minutes had passed, we were just profoundly into a conversation about faith in the church. And it, I had never met him before, and he had, we didn't know each other, and we just went straight there. And, uh, and even this, this morning, Sheldon and I talked over by Russell's uh, office door over there, and it was, hi, how are you? straight into uh, conversations of significance. And that's been my experience with Sheldon uh, the entire time. We, we, you go straight to something that matters. And in, um, in a setting like, like the church board, uh, Sheldon is a, is a, Sheldon's face is a perfect gauge for how the meeting is going. And 
once his eyes start to roll back and his face starts to look at the ceiling, you know that you've gone off into some topic that isn't core to the, to the, to the faith and, and helping mission of the, of the church. We, we, you've kind of gone off into, into secondary, secondary issues. Um, Linda, I met later. Linda is, a, in my experience, is about compassion. Linda's conversations are about how, how, is the, how are we going to act in a compassionate way? How are we caring for each other? How are we, how are we looking out for one another in the family of the church and in our, in our families of origin and in our, our families of choice? And um, so in, in, in those ways, both inside and outside the ministries of our church, I have, in the years that I have known them, known Sheldon and Linda to be, to be deacons at their core. Um, and they have, they have sometimes served in that role, and, are, and we, are, we are recognizing today their, their years of service in the role of deacon. But whether, whether they are serving in a role of deacon in the church or, whether, or, or not now as they move out in, into other, other things, they are in that way deacons at their core. They are compassionate, um, connection-focused, um, faith and and relationship-focused people in 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 the, in the ways that that a congregation needs and in the ways that that are important and that matter. So, as you move into roles in our church and our community and in your own lives that are not formally recognized as as deacons and as you are freed from the kind of the the bureaucracy of the of the church in that way i look forward to to seeing your your core values of of those those deacon roles really be freed to come into their own and and i sure appreciate having been able to work with you as deacons in our church and and I, on behalf of our church board and the congregation, I would like to uh, wish you the best as you move out of your formal deacon role into all the other things that, that God has in, in store for you. And for me, I want to say thank you. I'm not somebody that normally thinks in terms of my own feelings with things. And because of that, I don't often tend to reflect on how I'm actually doing about individual circumstances and things like that. But at the same time, at ministerial meetings with you, you were always very insistent that the first thing should always be, how are you doing? And as you both know, some of those conversations have gotten really to the heart of things in a way that I have found a blessing each and every time it's happened. You have made me a better pastor, and I want to say thank you for that. And I also want to pray for you now, as you go on to what is going to come. Our God, I want to thank you so very much for Sheldon and Linda. I want to pray for them as they go into this new chapter in their lives in the church. God, I pray that you will continue to be a blessing to them. God, I pray that you will continue to through them be a blessing to not only the people in this room, in this building, in this congregation, but the town as well. 
Lord, I thank you so much for how you have been with them through their lives up until now that has formed them into the people they are. And so, God, I pray, continue to make yourself seen clearly through them. And thank you so very much for not only their years of service, but also who they are. In your name we pray, amen. And now I'll ask you to both stay up, for we have now moved in to installing new deacons into our church. I would like to ask David and Tammy up, as well as Donna. All right. David and Tammy, because our congregation believes that God loves and tenderly cares for his church, we call deacons to lead us in sharing the love of Christ with one another. The church seeing these gifts in you, David and Tammy, has chosen you to take up this ministry of leading the church in mercy. As you begin this ministry, we remind you once more of the characteristics of deacons as Paul records them in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 8 to 13. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulge in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths and the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons in the same way. The women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but but temperature and trustworthy in everything. Temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Those are the words of Paul. And we see them in you. And over your time in McGregor EMC, before I came serving as pastor, and ever since I've known you as well, I've seen these things in both of you as well. And so we invite you to make the following commitments. With your response, you accept the responsibility the church has given you and commit yourself to the ministry before God. Do you believe that the Bible is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness? If you do, please answer, with the help of God, we do. Do you accept the Evangelical Mennonite Conference as an ongoing work in progress towards harmony with the scriptures? And do you commit to furthering the spiritual unity of Christ in this congregation and conference through your work as God gives you insight? Do you accept the caregiving ministry of deacon in this congregation and do you commit before God and this congregation that by God's enabling grace, you will have mercy on the sick, the poor, the doubting, the mentally ill, the lonely and those who grieve? Will you show us how to be an ever more loving and merciful congregation? (laughs) As a congregation now, We have prayed and the Lord has guided us to finding David and Tammy as our deacons. You have heard the commitment that David and Tammy have now made. 
Now you are invited to make your commitment by responding to these questions. Do you as a congregation welcome David and Tammy Cruz as your deacons? Do you commit to give abundant encouragement and cooperation as they seek to lead in the ministry of mercy in our church community? If so, I ask you to indicate that by rising. And so now I ask everybody that is on this stage to let us pray together that God will empower you, David and Tammy, to do his ministry. I will close. Dear God, we thank you for deacons. We thank you for David and Tammy's willingness to serve in that role. We thank you for the discernment process in our congregation that has, has led to their nomination and to their, to their willingness. We pray that as they, as they continue on in that caregiving and leadership ministry that, that is the deacon role in our church, that you would give them guidance and good discernment and compassion and a focus and an emphasis on relationships within the congregation and, and, and outside in our community and our world as well. We pray that you would strengthen them in their, in their marriage, in their relationship with each other, as they, as they have this public role together in the church uh, and with their broader family and circle of friends as well, as we gather around to support and encourage them as they support and encourage us. In your name we pray. Lord God, I thank you for David and Tammy. I thank you for the gifts that you have given them and for the way um, they have used those gifts within this congregation. I thank you for their compassion and their kindness, their wisdom and their, um, their, their welcoming spirit. And I pray that they will sense you going before them into situations and relationships that they will find themselves in, that they will feel you coming behind them with support and courage and, and warmth, and that they will sense you walking beside them as they face new situations, as they um, encounter people and, and um, situations that they will they, they will need your presence with them. I pray that you would bless them in a special way today and in the years ahead. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for David and Tammy and their willingness to serve. And I ask you, Lord, that you would richly uh, endow them with your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would equip them, as you have done, uh, more and more to serve, to have compassion, to uh, discern needs as they come along. And we just pray, Lord, for your provision in every aspect of their role as deacons and as a couple and as a family and as part of our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to welcome David and Tammy into this role. God, I just, I, I pray a blessing on them. I pray, Lord, that your face would shine upon them and that you would give them peace. And Lord, as they embark on this new adventure, thank you, Lord. Amen. God, I want to thank you so much for both David and Tammy. I want to thank you for the friends that they have been to me. 
But I want to thank you so much for the things that I've learned from both of them. I want to thank you so much for the impact they have had on this church and the entire conference. God, I can see you at work through both David and Tammy, and I thank you for that. And now as they go onto this new chapter in their lives, serving as deacons for our congregation, God, I pray that you will be with them and that you will bless them every step of the way, that you will continue to be their rock, you will continue to be their guide, and that you will speak through them the words that need to be heard to all of the people that they come in contact with. God, I thank you for their willingness to serve in this role, and I thank you for, their, for your calling of them as well. Our God, I now ask for a blessing on both of them. I ask that you bless them in this ministry and that you will bless all of McGregor EMC and McGregor and North Norfolk as a result. In your name we pray, amen. I would encourage you to track down Sheldon and Linda as well as David and Tammy to give thank yous, congratulations, warm memories, and whatever else you may have as well. But now we go on to the time of communion. And so everybody has their little glass that they picked up in the front. All right. In our congregation, we believe that communion, that communion should be open to all people, all believers. We believe that in communion we are joined together with other believers, not just in this same room as us, but all across the country, all across the world, and all across time, going all the way back to the apostles and Jesus himself. And so, when we join together in communion, that is what we see, how Christ has impacted everything until this very moment as well as we get to see a glimpse of what glory is to come as well. If you have young ones with you, I would ask parents, make the decision for yourself if you think they are in a place where they can grasp the significance of what communion is. Now we will read 1 Corinthians, what it says. For the tradition I received from the Lord and also handed on to you is that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way with the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this as a memorial of me. For whenever you eat this bread then and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. So in there you can see looking back and also looking forward as well. I'd ask you all to go into a time of prayer for reflection. After that, we will join together in this wonderful, wonderful thing. Our God, we thank you for continuing to show yourself to us through communion. God, I pray as we now join 
in it together with you, you impress upon us just how wonderfully big it is. Amen. And so, reflecting as we have, I say now, let us eat together. And together, let us drink. I ask that you now join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For your benediction, we turn to the book of Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your faith so that in the power of the Holy Spirit you may be rich in hope. Let's go forth and serve our God.